1: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jordan Syed is in the fitness realm, you can call it. He was a previous uh, weightlifter and he has a pretty big following. 800,000 or 900,000 people. And Jordan just recently decided to become a hunter. And more importantly, he decided that he was going to post about it in his Insta story and let everyone know that he was proud to be a hunter. So I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to figure out why. I wanted to figure out whether or not he had had significant pushback to announcing the fact that he decided to go hunting a fascinating conversation with essentially what we are looking for mainstreamers that don't live in the hunting space talking about hunting all right there we go so let me let me get this out of the way
2: right off the bat when did you become a hunter? Oh man, I don't even know if I can like say, I, I mean, the first time I ever went hunting was about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. So that might be when I became the first time I okay. ever did it. I don't know if I can, if I'm qualified enough to say I'm a hunter yet. Well, I love, well, what's funny is I love that answer because it's funny and yep. you're in the fitness game,
1: you're in the like wellness space. I don't know if you know of a lady called, maybe you've come across her, her name's Lisa Beauchard out of Utah. I don't know that name, I'm sorry. She runs a gym called Jim Jones. Oh, I've heard of Jim Um, Jones. Okay. Okay, that's Lisa. Okay. Okay, Lisa trained all the Spartans in Spart in 300. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Lisa said exactly the same thing you did. We took Lisa hunting for the first time two weeks ago. Okay. And I said, Are you a hunter? She was like, I don't consider myself a hunter. I said, but you are. You went hunting. She was like, yes, I have hunted, but I'm not a hunter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like uh, someone who's who's lifted weights once. Like they've lifted weights, but they're not a lifter. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. I like that.
1: Well, uh, let me make sure I, I, I may screw up your last name, but you can correct me, Jordan
2: Syatt. You said it perfectly. Most people completely screwed up, but yeah, you said it perfectly. That was great.
1: Perfect. Jordan Syatt, welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast. You are exactly the kind of person we need on this podcast. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about who you are.
2: Yeah, so so my name is Jordan, uh, Jordan Syatt. So the way I explain it is like think about the Hyatt Hotel, but with an S. And uh, I'm a personal trainer, strength coach, nutrition coach. I've done that for basically my whole life. I started out wrestling when I was really young, when I was like eight years old. Uh, I'm, I'm short. I'm really short. I'm like five foot four. I come from a very short family. And when I was younger, my mom wanted to make sure my brother and I could defend ourselves So she was like, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. And when I was eight, the only wrestling that I knew was WWF style wrestling. And so I remember looking at her and being like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. And so I still didn't know what that meant. But she put me into it when I was eight and I was obsessed with it. I fell in love with it. Uh, And so I did that. I made varsity as a freshman in high school, uh, and but I had to cut a lot of weight, so I was I was good from a te- from a technical perspective and an endurance perspective, but I was 14 going up against mostly 16, 17, 18 year olds, so I had to get stronger. So I applied uh, to a gym a couple towns over from me. I was living in Boston at the time, and I was like, "I'll take the trash out, I'll clean the floors, just let me come and learn from you." And I did that at 14, and I worked at that gym all the way until I graduated high school, and. I've just been doing that ever since. Now I'm 30 years old, and I've been coaching people this whole time.
1: Okay. But I think it's important for people to know that Jordan Syed isn't a guy that has 3,000 people
2: that follow him. (laughs) How many people follow you, Jordan? Uh, On Instagram, I have about 800,000.
1: Okay. How – is there – what happened how did you get 800,000 and and it's important for the context here because of what we're about to talk about
2: so i started posting content uh, i start, i made a website in july of 2011 so i was i was a competitive powerlifter and I was I was still in college at the time and I I got the opportunity to train at an amazing powerlifting gym called Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio. Any any lifter will really know what Westside is. There's it's not like a gym that you get a membership to. It's like you have to be invited to train there. So, uh gotcha. I was invited to train at Westside and and the way that it worked is when when I applied to when I wrote an email to the owner Louis Simmons, I was in college, I was in my dorm room and and basically I was like, "Listen, I want to come train with you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll take, take the trash out. I'll clean the floor, whatever you need. Just let me come train and learn from you. And his reply was our weakest guy squats 800 pounds. What do you have to offer? And, and basically it was like our chump squats 800. So what do you, what do you, what can you do? And I remember I I replied back and I said, "Louis, I don't give a fuck what you or any of your lifters do. I'll outwork every single one of you. And, uh, he invited me out for, a for a trial weekend. And he put me through two days of absolutely hellish training. And so that really is how I got started in the industry. Because when I started training there, people started following me. And and I I was, I'm very strong for a small guy. So I, I deadlifted four times my body weight. I deadlifted 530 pounds, weighing 132 pounds. And so people were looking at me like, this kid is tiny, but he's lifting more weight than most people double his size. What's going on? So people started to follow me for that. And then, uh, and that was before Instagram even existed. That was just on my website and YouTube. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And then I, I started making content on, uh, on Instagram as well. And for the first, like two or three years, I, I had like 5,000 followers or so, like nothing crazy. But then I started posting three times a day, every single day for about a year or so. And my audience went from like Five thousand to two hundred thousand in about a year, and it's just it's just helpful fitness content, Amazing. right? Like help Amazing. you weight, help you get stronger. Just that's basically it. And so yeah, yeah. Been doing that ever since.
1: Amazing. Do you know a name called a guy called Brandon Lilly?
2: Yeah, I do. I trained with him at Westside.
1: So here's a connection. Here's how small this world is. Brandon Lilly is a board of is a board member. He's on the board of directors of Blood Origins.
2: No way. That's awesome. It's fine when I- I'll
1: tell him, I'll tell him
2: today that I, I had a conversation with you. When I went to Westside, Brandon, so I was 127 pounds when I went to Westside, which is like the one of the reasons Louis let me come is because Louis people said, Oh, Louis, you only train heavyweights, you only train super strong dudes. And so when I emailed him, I was like, Dude, I'm hundred, I compete at 132. And so I think Louis was excited to have someone smaller that he could train. And I came there, and Brandon said to me within the first week, he was like, I'm gonna be honest, man. Like, I thought you were a cross country runner when you first walked in here. <laughs> and he tried like getting me to really gain a lot of weight. And Louie was like, Don't gain weight. I want you to compete at lightweight. But Brandon was right. he just held nothing back. He's like, I thought you were a cross country runner. Like you don't think yeah. like he lift at all. I was like, And okay, at
1: that man. time, Brandon was a big old bowling ball head, oh, you know, gosh. no neck kind of guy, right? Just a he,
2: monster. He he was, I haven't seen him in years, but he was massive and he was scary. And on my first max effort day, on my first day, max effort, lower body, I was doing an SS bar, low box, close stance squat. And, uh, and it was a weight that at that point in time, I didn't think I could do. And Louie was like, I don't care. Just go do that weight. And I'm in the bot and I I take it out and I'm shaking. I'm super heavy on my back. I get to the bottom of the squat and in my head, I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this up. Brandon comes up. With the weight on my back, he walks up right in front of me and is screaming at me as loud as he can, veins coming out of his neck. He's just like, You get the fuck up right now. And I got the weight up. It was like, it was like one of those moments where you hear of like a Miser. mom lifting a car off of their child, just like crazy strength. I was like, That wouldn't have happened unless I thought Brandon was going to kill me. And then after I was done, he was like, Knew you could do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I um I look forward to reintroducing you to Brandon today. He is an incredible incredible man. He was an incredible man there. He's slimmed down. He's still a beast. Yeah, yeah. Um he's a bow hunting beast. Really?
2: That's awesome. Okay.
1: So, the reason I have you on, Jordan, is because I don't know how I, you know, Lord works in mysterious ways, but someone sent me your insta story mm. and it was your insta story of you in camo walking in a field saying guys i'm hunting but you didn't just leave it there you were like this is why i'm doing what i'm doing
2: mm.
1: okay so i want to rewind the clock a little bit you obviously did not grow up hunting no
2: <laughs> Not at all.
1: Is there a reason why you didn't grow up hunting?
2: Yeah, I grew up in a very anti-gun, anti-hunting household. Um I I and I'll say this, I love my mom with all my heart. Like she's the most important woman in the world to me. Um my mom and my wife, but she we have very different views on many different things. Uh and I was brought up in a house with her being very anti-hunting, very anti-gun and you know as a child oftentimes whatever you're told you just believe that that's what that's what's right. So if my mom says that hunting is bad then hunting must be bad. If my mom says that guns are bad then guns must be bad. And that's just what I was taught and indoctrinated with so I believed it. As I got older and I started to think about things more and I had more life experience and I interacted with other people I started to question that. And I was like that doesn't make sense. And one of my my really good friends He was, he's an avid bow hunter and, and I, and I never understood it because I was very narrow-minded and I was very like, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. And he would explain it to me, but I wouldn't really be open-minded about listening to it. I just Mm -hmm. wasn't ready to hear it at that time. I just, I was not ready to hear it. I I wasn't willing to accept that I was being hypocritical because I ate meat. I ate fish. Like I was just, I was being hypocritical, but I wasn't at a point in my life of maturity in which I could be open-minded to it. And, yeah. and uh, then as years went on, I just, I started learning more about it. And I'm like, I'm being a hypocrite. Like, I was just straight up. I was like, I'm a hypocrite. Wow. I was like, I'm eating meat. That's, I can go to a steakhouse. I can go to the grocery store. I can pick up a package of meat and have someone else kill that animal, but I can't do it myself. And not only that, but I look down on people who do do it. I've like, I've got a real wow. problem. So I was like. Do you are just like. It is. Uh,
1: and, and what I said in the beginning of this podcast was, is. I fight every single day. You might have just you might have stalked us a little bit in terms of what we do and if you didn't that's okay. But I fight every single day to to change perceptions around who we are as hunters mm. to the non-hunting audience to who you were 5 years ago. Yeah. Okay? And the whole meat narrative and that that sort of rhetoric and hypocritical stance is something we use a lot. Um but Having someone like you, Jordan, one, understand, two, be open-minded, and three, the most important thing here is that you decided to a community that's probably 90% (laughs) non-hunters, you decided I'm going to show them that I hunt. Correct. Yeah. There must have been the thing that went through your brain to say, this isn't a good idea.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's, it's funny. You know, when you run a social media account that's really based around you, you're going to get opinions from everybody. You're going to get mm-hmm. opinions on all sorts of things. And when my account started to grow, I started to get some real anxiety about the things I would share because you just never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to try and cancel you or any of that. Um, and there was a period of time that I was just nervous all the time. Everything I posted, should I say this? Should I say that? And I think about two years ago now, I sort of had this awakening moment in which I was like, fuck it. Like if I can't be myself, then what is the point, right? Like if I can't share what I'm actually doing, if I can't be honest about it, then what's the point of all of this? Like Mm -hmm. I I knew that when I'm 90 years old, I'm not going to look back and say, I'm so proud of myself for not actually speaking my mind. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to start being very honest about what I'm doing. And um, to be very frank with you, I've been blown away with the response because all the things that I'd be very worried about. I got so many people being like, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. And there's always a few people who are upset about it. There's always a few people who like have something negative to say, but people are so appreciative when someone is just unapologetically who they are, even if they might Mm -hmm. agree with what you're doing. I've consistently found that if you just are who you are and you say it unapologetically and you don't apologize for being who you are people respect it and also a lot of people do agree with you they're just a little bit silent about it so they're not going to go on their platform and say it but they love it when you say it
1: Mm -hmm. no 100 percent. all right so tell me how this transition from being a non-hunter to a hunter like what made the sort of again you were thinking i'm being a little bit hypocritical okay now let's bite the bullet essentially and do it
2: yeah so so there's a, a several things that happen um First, the friend I told you about earlier, who I would never really, I wasn't ready to listen to, his name is Rich Malloy. Um, he's been hunting for a long time. I, I love this Rich guy. Malloy out of Massachusetts. Yes, Rich Malloy. Yeah. He's a personal trainer. Out of Massachusetts. He's a big
1: power lifter, too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We used to listen okay, to Okay. Listen to me. Listen to me. After this podcast is finished, or even when we finish here, You need to call him and you say, Do you know a South African that runs Blood Origins and see what he says?
2: Oh my God. All right. That's what a small world, man. Yeah. Rich Malloy, I used to train with him. We used to work. Brilliant hunter, brilliant chef. Just he's an incredible individual. Yeah. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. And so basically, when I started being more open minded, I said, Rich, can you come on my podcast and talk about hunting selfishly? Because I wanted to learn about it. And I also wanted to start exposing people who followed me to, to hunting. And I know Rich is very ethical about it. He's very good at explaining it and very passionate. So, so he came on and we had an hour conversation and it was amazing. I learned a lot. My audience ate it up. They were super excited about it. Even people who were very like anti-hunting to begin with, they were like, wow, I hadn't thought of it like that before. It was great. So after that, I was like, I have to do this. Like, I know I have to. I just didn't know how I was going to do it yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I put that podcast out and then someone had asked me in a Q&A on Instagram, um, I listened to that podcast, are you going to go hunting soon? And I replied to the question I put up on my story. I was like, yes, I want to. I just, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it yet or with who. I got several people reaching out being like, I'd love to take you out. I'd love to take you out. I got from all over the country, people like, I'd love to take you out, which is great. One of the people, uh, that I up, the guy that I actually ended up hunting with, I met through a friend of mine, named, a friend of mine named Sean, his friend, Charles, Charles Admire, who, as soon as I, t- as I found out I was doing this podcast, I told him and he was like, I love that podcast. That's amazing. Uh, Charles Admire, he, his, I love this guy. He's, he's a, he's a Marine. He's been hunting since he was 12. His family has some land here in Texas. So he took me out and, um, and man, it was just amazing a wonderful experience. And, and I told Charles, like, I was going to give him a shout out here on it. I like at Charles admire on Instagram, just because he's the biggest heart of anyone I've ever met. He's the sweetest guy. And he's, he's just unbelievably kind and and very knowledgeable. And he took me through this whole process just from start to finish. And, and I'll tell you the whole story if you want, but like, he really, like everything from going out to, to sitting out, waiting in the blind, all that, all the way to then field dressing and and all of it. Just then bring it to the processor. I could tell you, well, I'm sure we'll discuss the whole story, but Charles really, I don't think I could have done it with a better person for my first time because he really, uh, he helped a lot emotionally and strategically as well. Right. So I want to know about the hunt, right? I want for someone
1: who's never hunted before, um, it sounded like you had a couple of days Things weren't going according to plan. A couple of days, um, so sort of just go through that. But then I want to know about the the the, the day and
2: the moment and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So so basically, I'll tell you first what I expected hunting to be like based on my zero knowledge and the movies. Yeah, tell me. I What was your perspective, your thought of? I Walk out there, there's a deer, shoot it, walk back to the truck. <laughs> that was sort of it, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. I expected to be, like, hiking through the woods and, you know, because in the movies I always see people just they're running through the woods and they're chasing an animal, mm-hmm. the animal just mm-hmm. to be wait for them, like, 10 yards away and they get a clean shot off. And it's always, like, broadside, just always. And I'm like, oh, that's what's going to happen. And I'm gonna be like, and I, cause I love being outdoors and I love like hiking and I love walking. So I was like, this is gonna be great. Well, Charles has blinds set up all throughout his property not right. has some tree stations. Right. And basically he's like, shut up, don't say a word. Sit still, sit still. <laughs> and he For said three hours. more nights than that. Yeah, from 5:30 in the morning until 10 a.m., we just sat there <laughs> and, and that was it. And I was like, wow, this is completely different than what I thought it was gonna be. And- well, there's certain different
1: there's different styles of hunting. and the classic whitetail style of hunting is blind tree stand type hunting. Now there are people in Texas that do like to spot and stalk. Okay. tails. Okay, got it. Um, but you can really only do it in Texas. It's very difficult to do it anywhere else in the country. Um, there's a, a big uh, snowboarder up in Maine, Scotty Lagoe. okay, and Mainers have a different style of white tail hunting in the snow. In that they'll cut a buck track that comes across the road, and they'll pretty much follow that buck track, and they'll walk it down wow. all day—five, six, seven hours—they'll just walk this buck down, That's and then they'll—it's it, it, the classic what you just said. They find it, they walk it down in the woods, they see it, wait for a broadside shot,
2: and take the shot. I didn't know that. That's Charles said there was different types of hunting, but I didn't—I didn't know that. That's incredible. I'd love to do that one day. Um
1: and then you've got all, see, all, all the all the mountain west hunting, which is you know the backpack, real rigorous endurance, uh, you know, kind of stuff. But no, Whitetail hunting is the perfect entry gateway hunt for someone like you. Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it was great. So so you we went out, uh we we went out on Friday night, and so the first night we're out, um, and Charles said he was basically like, It's near the end of the season. I can't promise we're even gonna see a deer, just so you know. Which was funny to me because we were going out for two days and I'm like, wow, you might sit out for two days and not see a deer. And he was like, Oh yeah, like that happens all the time. <laughs> like, like there's no guarantee you're gonna see a deer. I was like, Man, that's crazy. Like I just thought you go out and it's gonna be there and you shoot one. And uh and then you you know, bring it back and <laughs> that's it. That's right. That's right. But uh that was not the case. So you go out for the first night and and Charles he has a couple corn corn feeders that spit out corn a couple times a day. So mm-hmm. for the first night. With, we were out there for about three or four hours and all of a sudden with like 10 minutes left in legal hunting time before sunset um we spot a doe a doe about 170 yards away and i have a Remington i believe it was a Remington 700 i think that charles let me shoot and, and i shoot i shoot every week with i like i have i have guns like i shoot i'm very comfortable with a weapon um okay. so i was fine with that but uh it's basically turns broadside and charles was like all right take the shot and so I took it, but we see the deer run away. And Charles was like, that is so weird because it looked like the perfect shot. So we get over there and we, there was fencing around the the corn feeder to keep hogs out. And the bullet, I have a picture, the bullet was deflected by one of the wires on the fence. Wowza. It, it didn't hit the deer. It, was, it ran away. It was fine. But Charles was like, that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen on someone's first hunt. Um, so didn't get one that night. Went back. The following morning, woke up at like 5, 5.30, freezing. And, and I was just like, man, I did not expect this. <laughs> and so it's freezing out and it's super cold. We go back to the same spot. And then we see later, uh, right around like probably 9.30, we see a doe and two fawns. And I was already feeling a little bit more comfortable because I had taken a shot the night before and like got that first one out of the way. But Charles was looking at it and the the dough turns broadside and he was like, all right, take the shot. And I, I look at him and I was like, bro, I can't take that shot. I was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I can't. And Charles looks at me and he goes, man, you're the one that has to sleep at night. You don't have to apologize at all. And I was like, I just couldn't take that shot. And and I think if I'm a more experienced hunter as I do it more, maybe I'll get to a point where I could, but at that point in my life, I couldn't. The beautiful
1: thing about hunting is that you get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like we go out as you experience everything that walks out dies.
2: Right. That's not what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a, a pretty emotional experience in and of itself. Like the idea of just taking the mother's life in front of their kids. And then, So then that happened and then we go back and then later that night we go out again and I'm in a different blind this time and I'm by myself and I'm waiting there for like four or five hours, no phone. Like, and I'm just like sitting in this blind all by myself and there's like cows behind me and they're like mooing and they're like, they're sneaking up behind me. And then there's, I keep thinking all these leaves rustling are, are deer, but it's just birds and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, with like 20 minutes left in legal hunting time, about 40 yards to my left, I see a pair of eyes in the woods. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, and it's a buck. And he's a pretty good-sized buck. Um, it was the biggest one I'd seen the entire weekend. And, and he starts walking. And he starts walking a little bit further, a little bit further away. He's not running at all. It's just a very slow walk. And, and I, have, I have the gun pointing right at him. I have it scoped out. Like, it's pretty easy shot. But I'm like, I want to wait until he stops. He's broadside. He's facing me broadside. But I didn't want to shoot him while he was moving but he kept getting mm-hmm. further and further and further and further away. I was like, I got to take the shot. So I, I took the shot and I didn't, at first I was like, I don't know what happened. He started to run. And in my mind, this is another thing I expected. I expected you shoot something it falls. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, I just thought like, I had never thought about when you shoot something that it could actually continue to move. It's like the movies, you shoot someone, boom down. Like even in the movies, like I do mm-hmm. and like, I'll see people in movies, they'll choke someone for half of a second. And then they're, they're dead. I'm like, that's not how it works. Sort of like the same. Right, right, right. I shot it. I expected it to fall and it just ran. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I knew I hit it, but I didn't know where. And so mm-hmm. I jump out of the blind and I'm chasing it. And it ran about 40 yards and it just drops and it's still breathing. And I see that I shot it right through the heart. I shot it right through the heart. It was a, it was a good shot. But man, I was so like, it's like even hard to articulate how emotional I was in that moment, because I'm realizing I'm taking this thing's life. I can see the breath right. coming out of it because it's cold out. So I see the breath coming out of its nose. And it's mm-hmm. looking at me. So I just dropped to the ground next to it. And I start petting it as it's passing. And I like, I say a prayer and like, I, I, I was even saying like, I'm really sorry, but like, I promise I'm going to like use all this meat to help provide for my Lisa. family and all of that. Yeah. And slowly he passed and I don't know, he's probably alive for about probably like a good two minutes after I shot him. And then, and then he passed and and that was it. And, and then brought him back to Charles's house and field dressed it completely. Like did all of that. Mm-hmm. That was, mm-hmm. man, there were some things I did not expect there. Like, Thank God I shot it through the heart and not through the through the um like guts, guts, right? Like because I heard mm-hmm. Charles was like, that would have been really bad. So to hold the heart mm-hmm. in my hand, that was like very special mm-hmm. and oddly emotional. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe how hot it was inside the body. Like that was mm-hmm. steaming hot. And then I think the the oddest part about the whole thing was Charles said, All right, now we have to take the butt out. And I I thought he was joking. And I was like, what? And he and he brings out this thing called butt out 2.0 yeah. and you literally have to pull the butt out of it, which I like didn't know. He was like, yeah, like if you leave that in, it could, you know, not be good. So mm-hmm. I took the butt out of it and took all the guts out and did everything. And then we brought it to the processor and figured out what types of like cuts of meat I was going to get and what type of sausage. And it was, it was just a, a remarkable experience. It's something that I'll never forget. I'm very grateful for, and I would definitely like to continue to do in the future.
1: So let me back, I want to rewind a little bit and, and ask, sort of see if you can articulate some things for me. Was there, you've obviously driven around Texas and seen a bunch of deer, right? Yeah, yep. Just on the side of the road, hey, there's a deer. Yeah. When you were hunting for the first time and that first doe that you took a shot at stepped out, was there a difference between you seeing that doe versus
2: the does that you see on the side of the road? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the difference being, you mean like, if I'm driving, I like feel a lot of deer. Yeah, yeah. I, one deer I'm actively trying to take the life of, and, and under I understand it's to provide for my family and for my friends, and to like I'm not it's not going to go to waste. But one on the side of the road is, oh, that's cute, and the one that on the other end of the barrel is like, that's yeah, I, I'm trying to kill it which is like a very different mindset, right? It's, so yeah, it was, it was very different. There's nothing about the deer that's different. It's in, in between my, my ears, the, in my head and my heart, now there's a difference and, and that's why. So why happened.
1: do you what, what sort of, if you had to explore from a human physiology perspective, like why there is a difference here and here yeah. between the two scenarios, what is it?
2: Yeah I mean that's a great question. I think uh if I had to off the top of my head I would say I don't think it's easy. I and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's easy to take something's life. And I was thinking about this, right? Because it's like I kill an ant and I have no issue killing an ant, right? It's like I've no Asia. issue like swatting a fly that's bugging me, even though I'm taking a life. I think there's something about something that it's uh it's a bigger animal. It like you can see how it lives so much more clearly. You can relate to it so much more. You can see the breath coming out of its nose. Like it, it's a, uh, it's it's for for lack of a better word, it's much more real, and mm-hmm. it, uh, much more connected. Yeah, much more connected. And which, ironically or interestingly, is what I've heard like rich explained to me why he likes bow hunting and rich said he likes bow hunting charles said the same thing it you get closer to the animal you you're much more connected with what you're with what you're doing it's a much it's much more difficult it's way harder to do but through that process you get closer to the animal and it's much more of a special process which is the thing that i think was the most scary and difficult at the beginning might be the thing that i actually start to chase as i become more and more of a hunter
1: Hmm. no no doubt a lot of people go through the same evolution right it becomes more of a it, it's not a it's not a a lot of people will call it a game a lot of people will call it a sport but more what it is is becoming more and more connected to this thing that becomes a lifestyle mm. just like you do from a weightlifting powerlifting perspective the same thing happens in hunting in that You say that I want to get closer to that animal that I have decided I want to take its life. And so, and it's beyond the, and so to me, physiologically, I think that it's, it's more of a primal instinct back to where we've come from, Mm. essentially your, your origins, right? It's like, I'm connecting to something that I've lost or is lost in society today because you don't have to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You have the convenience of the supermarket. But when you're put in that situation, something inside of you, there's some sort of neurological spark that you feel between your eyes and you feel in your heart and you feel it coursing through your veins. And it's like, what the heck is that? Yeah. Why don't I see it when I watch the deer on the side of the road? it's because you're all of a sudden connected to that animal because you're going to take its life and you're going to use that animal mm. back to what we used to be, like caveman kind of deal. Yeah, And then the this, this sort of evolution, I think, in hunting is more of a modern concept in that we are always striving to challenge ourselves. We're always striving to um, you know, better improve our, our, our again, this, to this specific example, the connectivity
2: to, to the animal itself. That makes sense. That makes total sense. What you just said is <clears throat> also one of the reasons that that pushed me to do it because um you, you mentioned it was like like cavemen, how we would have to, you know, find our food. But it's such a recent thing that we can just go to the grocery store and pick up a package of meat, right? Like even long after cavemen, it's it's only in the last very recent years that we could go to the grocery store and pick up a package of meat. Like it's not that exactly. long ago that Every family had to have somebody who was going out and hunting, and I was like, "Man, for the vast majority of human life, this is what you had to do in order to survive." And in such a very short time frame, it's now become such a, a bad thing in, in mainstream culture.
1: No, it's um, and it's a bad it's a bad thing in mainstream culture because, unfortunately, hunters have not, to your point earlier hunters have not done a very good job of ensuring that the pr around who we are as hunters mm-hmm. and hunting is seen in this in the right light um and people like you again this is why i wanted to have this conversation and i'm so grateful for people like you who decided i'm going to be authentic i'm going to show what i did but it's not like you showed it in the pr light that Puts it in a bad name, in a bad light, in a bad gives it a bad name. What you did was you explained why you were
2: doing what you were doing. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. On that topic, because I have some internal back and forth with myself about posting pictures about what you have, Mm. because Mm -hmm. the reason I didn't post the picture of myself with my book was for exactly the reason that because me five years ago would have seen pictures of people with their buck and I've been like, oh, and I wouldn't even read the caption. That would push me away from it. So I didn't want to post that because I know that people would, wouldn't would have liked it. What's your opinion on posting pictures of of what you hunt? Like, and I'm just like your honest opinion, like, do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you think about it? How do you explain? I have, it? No, I have no problems with what you're calling the grip and grin. Grip and grin. Okay.
1: okay. Yep. Which is, I'm going to grip the animal, and I'm going to smile. Yep. And the connotation is that you're smiling because you killed that animal. Yes, that's what people... Okay? Yeah, yep. However, what you're going to do, if you decide to post, is you're going to say exactly what you just said to me 15 seconds ago. Mm. You're going to say, please read, five years ago, I would have found this abhorrent. Yeah. This is why. Boom, 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 boom. Be the authentic Jordan Syed. Yep. And say, but this is what this is and and i would almost i would almost add imagery mm. like add imagery of the meat that you that you are now eating the mm. processed meat that's feeding idea. your family with it kind of deal and so what you're doing is you're not isolating the hunt to that one picture I love and that's a that. problem that we have we have this isolation that that is all that hunting represents is the grip and grin in a in a, in a good context, in a good comment, in a good caption, you can mitigate that. But you mitigate it more by saying, here's, the, here's picture one. The very next picture is the meat and the processed meat. And here's the next picture. And here's the next picture. And I would even end it by putting a picture of a steak and saying, at the end of your caption, saying, what's the difference between you eating a steak and what I just ate?
2: Bro, I... And, and
1: say... I know exactly where that deer steak came from. I know whose hands touched it. I know how that animal died. The steak, I'm still going to eat it. But I was hypocritical in in looking at hunting in a bad light. Wow. That's incredible. That is
2: the best. I think I've talked about it a little bit
1: before this? (laughs) I'm
2: glad I asked because like, I've, I don't know. I, and I've spoken to other hunters about it and they haven't given me an answer as, as succinct and clear. And as uh, what's the word? It's, it's such a great way to portray it because it's, you add the other pieces of meat, you add how it contributes to your life. And then you also add the contrast of and here's a stake that, like, you have no idea where this animal's been. You don't know how it was treated. You don't know what it's slaughtered with. No. Like, you don't know any of
1: that. And you can and you can put an IG story up at the same time of you just talking through it, so people are connecting different dots together. And the like, guys, look, at the end of the day, you're going to have five percent of the people that follow you hate it and yeah. unfollow you, and yeah. you may lose fifteen thousand followers or whatever. Um, but you're going to, as you said, you got a, a ton of positive feedback, and I think you're going to, from our perspective, I'm gonna talk selfishly for a second. Yeah. Selfishly from a blood origins perspective, what you do there will change perceptions around hunters and hunting mm. for a hundred thousand people, two hundred thousand people. It'll plant seeds on in people that may still hate hunting, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden they're like, hmm. Maybe there's something to this thing, just
2: like happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. That gradually changed over time. I like that. You're right. You're 100% right. That makes total sense. Thank you for that. No,
1: thank you, brother. You don't thank me for nothing. This is, um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of the fact that you decided to post. And I cannot thank you enough. And it's not just me thanking you, it's the hunting community that says thank you.
2: Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. I feel very, very lucky to be a small part of it right now. And I'm really looking to, to get more involved in it. I'll tell you, I think the most emasculating thing that's ever happened to me is Charles was like, hey, let's try and practice the bow when we were in between hunting. And I couldn't even pull that fucking thing back. And, and I'm, I, I am an elite power lifter. I'm not a weak guy. But now, and Charles was like, "Listen, I'm much taller than you. I'm a short guy. I'm I'm a really small." He's like, "So the size of the bow like can make a difference." But he has a seventy five pound drawback. I think is what it's called. Like the, the seventy pound. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, seventy five I, pound draw weight. Yeah, I couldn't fucking lock it out. At, I couldn't. <laughs> I wish we had video of it because I was like, like I was just shaking. And the fact that someone can do that while sitting in a tree and not causing a massive commotion and scaring away the animal is unbelievable to me. Like how in the hell is that possible?
1: <laughs> it is a, it, it, it's almost this blend of art and science together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I really want to
1: get more involved in that for sure. Well, we'll definitely connect you with Brandon because he's just a bow hunting fool. And um <laughs> Yeah, if you're interested in getting into bow hunting, we'll introduce you to some people um that will certainly help you in that man. And obviously you got Charles and big shout out to Charles. Thank you, Charles, because if this wouldn't happen without him.
2: Yeah, that's exactly um, so, right. So um And Rich. Charles Jordan, anything?
1: Yeah. <laughs> And Rich, of course, and Rich, yeah. yeah. Um, Jordan, anything else on your heart that you know, as a, as a new lamented person who has hunted, um,
2: that you feel like you want to say? You know, I'll say there are a couple things. Uh, number one is the hunting community has been incredibly kind and welcoming, which has been wonderful. As is like, it's always nice when you find a community of people that, but at one point in your life, you had preconceived notions about. And then you get into it and it's like, this is such a great group of people who look, care about the environment, care about the animals. They're just, it's it's such a, a refreshing experience as you grow to become more and more and more open and to find communities like that. So thank you to everyone in the hunting community who's reached out. Um, I also want to say, and I think I should say this because historically I've had run-ins with the, the vegan community uh, that have not been very good. Uh, because I eat meat, and you know they they can be pretty harsh as the vegan community. But I want to say this because I, I I've spoken to some hunters about it, and they were surprised. The people who were the most supportive of my hunting story were hunters. The people who were the second most supportive were vegans, and hundred percent. I could not believe it. I, my jaw dropped, and it wasn't just one, I got hundreds of messages from vegans being like listen obviously i'd prefer it if people didn't eat meat but i love that you did this and i wish everyone who ate meat did this so they could see where their food came from and what it actually takes the people who were the most mad were people who eat meat and they just don't want to hunt like me like they used to be and and i was just i have to give credit to the vegans that is it was, amazing it was unbelievable it was really incredible that they were they were taking the time to reach out and thank me for something that by principle they disagree with, but they like this as, as the most ethical way to do it.
1: I will I will counter by saying by principle they they do not disagree with what okay. you did because this is the principle. This is why vegans and hunters are back to back in terms of what they want. If you asked a vegan, what do you want? They'll say we don't want to we don't wanna hurt animals, we don't wanna okay. But at the end of the day, if you push them a little bit, They want healthy, sustaining wildlife.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They want healthy,
1: sustaining animals. Okay. But in the wildlife context, they want healthy, sustaining wildlife. What do hunters want? Fundamentally, we want healthy, sustaining wildlife. It just so happens that, not unfortunately, the the models between a vegan and a hunter
2: are just two different models, two different tools Mm -hmm. to the same end game. Wow, I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense when you put it like that. And so that's why you
1: have commonalities. Yeah, you'll have the vegans and in, in any community just like you'll have them in hunters. you have extremists and unfortunately vegans are extreme extremists, but for the vast majority they they get it they like and and you just are the proof of that that they are like, thank you. Yeah. you decided to eat meat. Okay, you went and sourced it yourself, free range, organic.
2: You can you can ask for something better. Yeah, that's it. I So I, I had to give that shout out because historically I've had some bad run-ins with them, and that was the most positive interaction I've ever had with them, and it was it was wonderful. So so thank you to the Hunt Amazing. Thank thank you for to you for having me on. I'd love to connect with you again, whether we go out for a hunt one time or, or anything. This was this was wonderful. I really appreciate you. No, we appreciate you, Jordan. Thank you.